Welcome to New Community Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to hear today's message. We are encouraged to hear how God is using this ministry to touch lives. If you have a story to share or a prayer request for our prayer team, please email us at connect at newcommunity.co. Now please prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Well, good morning, NCC. How are you guys doing? Good. It's good to see each and every one of you here this morning. And if you're our guest, let me start by introducing myself. My name is Aaron, and I'm the lead pastor here at NCC. And we're excited that you're worshiping with us together this morning. We're in our third week of this series called Elephant in the Room. And we've taken the past few weeks, and we're going to take today and continue to tackle some really tough topics and some tough issues that we find in the world around us. And just what does the scripture say about that? How do we respond to those issues as Christians? And so we've been looking at that. We started off the first week talking about world religions and what Christianity says about that and how Christianity measures up to that. And last week, um, our panel of staff members did an amazing job, didn't they? Um, Just sharing about how God's designed us. It was really good. If you missed it, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast because they just did a great job of talking about our sexuality and what the Bible says about that and how we respond um, to culture about that. And so we're going to continue today. Every week we've recommended some resources. And so I have some that I want to encourage you um, with this morning. And the first is what we talked about last week. And it's a book by Dr. Michael Brown. And Sarah had referenced him and it's um, called Can You Be Gay and Christian? And it's just a great book that talks about how do we reach out in love to those that are dealing with same-sex attractions and um, how do we respond as a church and what does scripture say about this. And so this is a great book if you know someone, family member or friend or a coworker that's dealing with some of these issues, how we respond as Christians. And so I want to encourage you with this. And can I give this to someone this morning? Is someone Okay, right here. Andrea raised her hand. So we saw that. And then today we're going to be tackling some cultural topics just some general cultural topics. And there's this great book. I know this is really thick. Some of you guys have never read a book this thick, okay? But it's a great book um, by Charles Colson, and he's talking about how Christians live in a culture maybe that's against the Bible and how we respond. How now shall we live? And it's a great book just talking about that, looking at Scripture and seeing how Christians engage. So I'm going to give this away this morning. Okay, Alicia's right there up front. Okay, Um, and I want to encourage you. You can pick those up like you can search on Amazon or any of those, and those are great resources with what we're talking about today and what we've been talking about the past few weeks in this series here. In the heart of this, we've said this every week, is that as we look at some of these difficult topics, you would know why you believe what you believe. Not, I heard my pastor say it at some point, or I heard a speaker mention that, I think it's like this, but that you would be able to wrestle with some of these even difficult topics and that you would look at what scripture says and say, hey, I understand what God's speaking into my life and how I can take that scripture and apply it to my life. And that's our goal in this series. And so I want to encourage you, we've done this every week, but please take notes today on what we're going to talk about. There's a card in front of you that just says sermon notes. You can take out your phone, okay, and your smartphone. Don't be searching Facebook, but you can take some notes on some of the scriptures that we're going to go through because we're going to go through a number of scriptures. And I want to start today as we're talking and tackling some tough cultural things. I want to start by saying this is this feels like one of the most difficult messages that I've given in the two and a half years that I've been here at NCC. And my goal is as we look at some of these cultural topics, I know that in this church, we're going to have people that land on both sides of these things, okay? That see scripture slightly different or apply that scripture to different different ways inside of your life. 
And so I realize that, but we're the body of Christ and we're called to love each other. And so that's okay as we wrestle with some of these ideas and some of these um, topics that we find in scripture. But I want you to know this as your pastors, we're not taking this lightly, okay? So I was up at about four o'clock this morning, just praying and going over these scriptures again, because I don't want anything that I say today. And I was praying this, God, Holy Spirit, speak through me. I don't want anything that I say today to be my words, to be my opinion. My goal is that we would go to scripture. We would go to God's word and say, God, what are you saying? And once again, how do we apply that to our lives? How do we wrestle with that? How do we live in the current culture that we're in? And so this is a difficult message, but we're going to look at scripture and we're going to see what God has to say about some of these tough topics that we're going to tackle today. And so the first question kind of um, that we want to address in the room today is this question right here. Is it okay for Christians to drink alcohol or use legalized drugs? Okay. We're starting with an easy one, you guys. This is not easy, okay? And so we're going to wrestle with this idea, like what does scripture say about this? And we're going to start with this, um, just kind of as a foundation. If it's illegal, it's a sin. If it's illegal, it's a sin, okay? So you're a teenager, you're a young adult, you can't drink. The Bible's very clear. In Romans chapter 13, Paul writes, and this is a scripture you can write down and look at later, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, he goes on to say, God has put those people in authority. Therefore, whoever resists those authorities that God has appointed will face judgment, okay? So he said, if it's illegal, it's off the table. Like it's off limits, it's off the table, okay? We don't touch it. If you're under 21, you're a young adult, you don't touch it. It's illegal. We respect the authority that God has placed in our land, okay? If it's illegal drugs, we don't touch it, okay? Cocaine, heroin, whatever else you can imagine, whatever else is out on the street, we don't do that. Okay, we need to address this because this is becoming a bigger issue and we have people close to us that we know that have dealt with this. We do not use prescribed medications in ways that they were not prescribed, okay? We don't do that. That is illegal. It's against what the government has said. And so even if your doctor has given you that medication, you only take it. You don't pop some extra pills because it feels good, okay? You only take it as the doctor has prescribed. That's what we do because we uphold the laws of the land you're not buying prescription medication from the guy on the corner, okay? You're not doing that. If it's illegal, it's off limits. We don't do it. We uphold the law of the land because that's what Romans 13 talks about. And so we know that. But then let's address the issues. What about those of you that are over 21 in this room? And I fall in that category, okay? Um, you're over 21. What does the Bible say about us consuming alcohol? Because the government doesn't say that's illegal. And so we're going to look at a number of scripture verses here, and I'm going to start in John chapter 2. So you can write this down. You can look at this later. Those of you that enjoy wine, this is one of your favorite passages, okay? Because this is the first miracle that Jesus ever performs. And he's at a wedding, and they've run out of wine, okay? They've run out of wine, and his mother comes to him and says, hey, Jesus can take care of this. And he said, hey, it's not my time yet. But he ends up, he performs this miracle. They fill these giant jars with water. And whenever they go to pour out what they thought was the water, it's changed into wine. And they take it to the host, the guy who's throwing this party. And he's like, man, this is the very best stuff. Normally, you bring out the cheap stuff when everyone's drunk, but this is the good stuff. And man, he's really blown away. He doesn't know what's taking place, that Jesus has turned the water into wine. And so... We see it there in scripture. We see in um, Luke chapter 7, verse 34, Jesus is talking with the Pharisees. And this is the statement that's made. He's talking to them and he's saying, the son of man, 
referring to himself, has come eating and drinking, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Why would he say that? Because Jesus hung around people that were drinking. And he consumed wine himself at different festivals, at different Passover feasts, and all of these different things. Jesus would have consumed wine. And so we see Jesus partook of that, okay? Also, you see in the book of Timothy, Paul is writing to this young pastor in Ephesus, and he says this, hey, Timothy, don't only drink water, but actually drink wine because it'll be good for your stomach ailments. What was taking place there is Timothy was a pastor in a city called Ephesus, and the water actually had a chemical in it that was eating away at his stomach and at his intestines, and it was causing issues in his physical health. And Paul said, you know what? This actually has medicinal purposes for you. You need to drink a little bit of wine along with the water. It's going to help you out. So we look at passages of Scripture like this, and we can see from Scripture that the Bible doesn't say that drinking wine is a sin, Okay. It doesn't see that. We see that Jesus partook in other parts of the Bible. They talk about this. Now, you may be asking, well, those are scriptures that, that say, hey, drinking wine isn't a sin or drinking alcohol isn't a sin. Are there scriptures that talk about the dangers of drinking alcohol? And there are. And I want to give you these scriptures as well. So once again, you can write these down. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1 says this, wine is a mocker and strong drink a brawler and whoever is led astray by them is not wise. Galatians 5.21, envy, drunkenness, okay, drinking alcohol to the place of excess and getting drunk, orgies and things like this. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul is very clear about that. Isaiah 5.11, woe to those who get up early in the morning that they may run after strong drink and who tarry late into the evening as wine inflames them. So Isaiah is saying, hey, caution here, red flag. You're getting up early in the morning and thinking about what you're going to drink. You're staying up late at night and you're consuming a lot of wine. You better be careful. This is going to lead to destruction in your life. Proverbs 23, 29 says this, who has woes, sorrows, strife, complaining, wounds without cause, the redness of eyes. It's these people, those who tarry over wine, those who try to go after mixed wine, do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cups. It goes down smoothly, but in the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. So we see scripture after scripture saying, hey, you need to be careful. This is a dangerous thing for the people of God to partake of. And, and we see instances in scripture where it's cautioning us. And so what do we understand as believers? We understand this, that the Bible does not say, hey, it's a sin to partake of wine. It's a sin to partake of alcohol. The scripture does not say that. But it does say this, where it draws the line is, if you're getting drunk, that's a sin. If you're consuming alcohol to the point of excess, you're, it's going to lead you to destruction in your life. And you do not do that, Christians. Followers of Christ do not do that in our lives. We don't accept that in our lives to the place where we're drinking alcohol, where we're getting drunk. The scripture is very clear on that. Now, I hear Christians say this, well, I don't get drunk. You know, pastor, I don't drink to the point where I get drunk. I just get a little buzzed, Okay. Get a little tipsy, get a little lightheaded, like, right, that's okay. And to you, I would say, no, it's not okay. We do not push the line to the point to see how close with sin can we get? How much can we flirt with sin before we actually step over the line and it becomes a hindrance, it becomes a danger in our life? We don't do that as followers of Christ. We don't live that close to sin and seeing what's okay and am I going to damage my relationship with God. No, we don't allow that in our lives. We understand that sin, drunkenness, those type of things, that it will lead to destruction inside of us. And so we don't 
kind of get as close as we can to that line. But if we consume alcohol, we do so in moderation, as the Bible talks about, not to a place of drunkenness, not to a place of excess in our lives. And so if you're here and you're saying, hey, I realize that the Bible doesn't say that drinking alcohol is a sin, and I drink to moderation, we need to look at a couple of other verses. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 6, verse 15 and 16. He says, do you not know that whatever you obey, you become a slave to? Whatever you obey, you become a slave to. First Peter chapter 2, he says it like this. He says, hey, you have freedom in Christ, so live as free people, but do not use your freedom to do evil. He's saying, hey, you may have this freedom in Christ, but you need to be careful that it's not leading you to a place of destruction. It's not leading you to a place of impairing your judgment, that you're not getting tipsy or buzzed or whatever you want to call it, where it's all of a sudden allowing sin in your life. You don't do that as followers of Christ. That's not how we live our lives. We don't allow anything to control us in that way. We don't allow ourselves to become slaves to any of those things. Now, there are those of you in this room, and this is how I grew up. I grew up in a church where they told us, hey, if you consume alcohol, that's a sin, okay? That's what we were told, and there may be those of you that grew up in that kind of church background, in that kind of church history, and as you study scripture, we realize that the Bible doesn't say that, that consuming alcohol is a sin, but you may have a personal conviction about that. You may come to the place in wrestling with scripture that says, hey, I realize it's not a sin, it's not directly lined out, but for me, I can't partake of that. And I don't want you to leave this room and think, well, Pastor Aaron says it's okay, so I guess I need to go out and have a couple of glasses of wine. I guess I need to start drinking beer, alcohol. That's not what I'm saying at all. See, because there are times in our life where the Holy Spirit speaks something to us and he draws a line in our life that it may not be sin, but he says, you better stay away from that. You better not allow that in your life. And if God has spoken that to you, if the Holy Spirit has given you that personal conviction, you don't play around with that church. You don't see how close you can get to that. You listen to the leading of God's spirit and you obey that and you follow that in your own life. And if that's your conviction, you don't say, hey, I've got the freedom, I can do it. No, but you listen to the voice of God in your life. You allow him to direct you and him to lead you and you follow his guidance in those things. If you're here and you're saying, Aaron, the Bible doesn't say drinking alcohol is a sin. I drink in moderation. That's not a personal conviction that I have in my life. It's not something that God's spoken to me about. Then we have to ask one more thing, and it's this. In the way that you're drinking, does it damage your testimony? Maybe you're not drinking in excess. You're not getting drunk. But the way that you're drinking, does it damage your testimony? Does it damage the way that you're living your life? This verse in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is talking to people, and he says this, you are the light of the world. He's talking to people who are followers of Christ, and he's saying, you're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Everyone can see you. He said, you don't light a lamp in a room and put it under a bucket. He says, you put it on a sand, and it gives light to everyone in the room. So let your light shine so that men may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. What is it that Jesus is saying? Is he saying, hey, you're the light of the world. You're a reflection of God and of Christ to those around you. You're supposed to demonstrate who God is and who Christ is to a world that is desperately needing that. They need to see your life and say, hey, I see God at work in there. Man, God's up to something over here because I see what he's doing. They see your good works and they glorify your father in heaven. And if you're on social media, 
you're on Snapchat or Instagram or Facebook, any of that, and you're sitting at a table with 10 beers, people are going to question that light, aren't they? Man, how can you drink that much and not get drunk? It's going to damage your testimony. You're sitting at a table with four glasses of wine, and they don't know if you drank all of that or if someone else drank that. You have to start to ask God, my life is not my own anymore. I've given it up to you, God. I've surrendered it to you. I've given what I am to you, God. So if there's anything there that's damaging my light in the reflection that I'm supposed to be in this world, I don't want any part of it, God. I don't want to partake of that. And so if it's an issue for you that, that, that what you're putting out there is damaging your testimony, don't partake of it. Make sure that if you're drinking in moderation that it's not a stumbling block to others. And what you say out of your mouth better be what matches your life. You cannot say, God's given me this full, abundant life, but I'm trying to drink mine away. Doesn't match up. You can't say, God's using me to speak and to share his gospel, but your speech is so slurred because you're buzzed or because you're drunk or because you're tipsy. It doesn't line up. The truth of your message better be matched by your life, church. It's got to be matched by what we live out. And so if your conviction is, hey, I don't drink and get drunk, then we better make sure that our testimony is not damaged by what we're showing other people through our lives. Now we go on to the second part of this question. And what about legalized drugs? Can Christians use legalized drugs? We have a number of states now where it's legal to smoke marijuana. And it's not here in Texas, okay? So once again, off the table for us. But um, you have a friend in Colorado, right? And they pick up the phone and they're asking you this question. What does the Bible say? What does scripture say? What do we believe as Christians as we look at this? And we're not gonna spend as much time on this because the Bible doesn't talk about this, okay? The Bible's very clear. You don't get drunk. You don't do that. It doesn't say you don't smoke marijuana, but there are other references in the Bible that address some of the issues that come with even legalized drugs. And so I wanna look at this, what God's word is saying here at this. And so once again, Romans chapter 6, verse 16, we referenced this a moment ago, but Paul said this, do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are a slave of the one of whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So Paul's saying, hey, you better be careful that something doesn't become an addiction in your life. Does something have hold on you and you can't get loose of it? You can't let it go. Whether you say, hey, it's just a mental addiction, it's not a physical addiction, or if it's a physical addiction, whatever that is, Paul's saying, church, you better be careful here. You better be careful here that nothing controls your life, that it's only you giving yourself to God, walking in obedience to him that leads to righteousness. So he said, don't let anything enslave you. Don't let anything control you. So when you hear someone say, well, man, I just need a cigarette. I'm all jittery, man. I, I need that. I just got to have it in my life. That's a red flag. Something's got a hold of you. Something's got an addiction on you, whatever it is. Man, I just need this joint. I just need to smoke this marijuana. It, it's not... No, it's an addiction in your life, whether it's mental or physical, it's got a hold on you. And the scripture says, no, we don't live like that as Christians. We walk in obedience to Christ. We offer ourselves as slaves to Christ, not as slaves to anything else. This is what the scripture talks about. And so we run from those things that are addictions in our life. But it's not just the addiction part of it. It's the satisfaction part of it because people say that all the time, don't they? Like, 
man, it's just the high. It's the feeling that I get, you know, when I do that drug or whenever I smoke or whatever it is. It's that fulfillment and the satisfaction that it brings in us. And in Psalms chapter 16, verse 11, the psalmist addresses this. And this is what he says. God, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What's the psalmist saying? Is he saying, God, I look to you. You show me the way that I'm supposed to live. And God, when I'm pursuing you, God, when I'm in your presence, God, whenever I'm with you, that's when I feel, find this fullness of joy inside of my life. God, that's when I find pleasures that are evermore. God, pleasures that are abundant. I find that whenever I'm around you. And if there's anything in my life that I'm looking to, to satisfy me, to fill what only Christ can fill in my life, that is a very dangerous place to be. Church, that is a very dangerous place to be. And it goes with anything, not just a drug that you would do. Got to have this comfort food. I'm stressed out, you guys, and I just got to eat it, man. I got to feel better. Man, we've got people, the, the statistic is in America, five hours a day, the average American is escaping into some television world, into some movie. We have young adults spending hours and hours and hours of their life trapped in a video game or in some fantasy world, and there's a danger there. If I've got to pursue something else because I'm missing or lacking something in my life, that's a red flag right there. Because the psalmist says, no, that's ultimately found in Christ. It's found in who Jesus is. It's him that I'm seeking after. That doesn't mean that we don't have hobbies. It doesn't mean that we don't have enjoyment in life. But if I'm expecting something else to satisfy me in the way that only Christ can, that's a very dangerous place to be, church. And the psalmist is warning us, don't get in that kind of place. C.S. Lewis, this Christian author, who wrote The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, he said it like this. He said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We are far too easily pleased when we're running after things that are only temporary, expecting them to satisfy us. When we're looking for fulfillment and pleasure in other places besides Christ, hoping that it will fill some emptiness in our life, we are far too easily pleased when the God of this universe, the creator said, hey, I'm offering you infinite joy. I'm offering you pleasures that are everlasting, joy that is overflowing. If you'll just come and pursue me, you're going to find it. You're going to find what you're looking for. And so we look at these things, and as we look at alcohol and, and even legalized drugs, we have to ask this question, does this lead me closer to Christ, or does it pull me further away? And if it in any way hinders my relationship with Christ, I want no part of it, church. I want no part of it. If it's going to distract me, if it's going to become a ruler in my life, if it's going to become an addiction, I want no part of it. Even though I may have the freedom to partake, I stay away from it. Because the most vital thing in my life is my relationship with Christ. And I constantly look at everything, TV, movies, 
anything I consume, any food or drink, I look at all of it and say, at any point, God, you can speak to me. I'll give up any of it for you. You can take away whatever you want to. God, my life is yours. And that's our response as believers. The second question is, how should Christians engage in politics? It's just getting harder, you guys, okay? Man, we are in an extreme political climate right now. It's a heated political climate as we get ready to come up on elections. And, and even in this room, I know that there are people that may feel like you connect more with a Republican um, party in, in that political view. And there may be those of you that connect more with the Democratic Party. I'm not saying you're sitting on this side of the room, okay? You're mixed all over, but there are different people. And so how do we respond as Christians? What does the Bible say? Does the Bible address any of these kind of ideas of politics and government or any of those things. And so let's look at what scripture says. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, it says this. Paul says, first of all, first of all, I urge you that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, kings and all who are in high position, that we may lead a peaceful and a quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and is, and is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. What is Paul saying? You want to talk about politics? Good. It starts with prayer. That's where it starts, church. You want to talk politics? Paul said, okay, first off, we're going to start by praying. We're going to pray. We're going to intercede. We're going to offer thanksgiving for those that God has placed in authority, for those that God has placed over us. What does that mean for us as Christians? It means we pray before we post. Before you go off on your Facebook rant on Instagram before you talk about whatever political party you're a part of, you get on your knees and you talk to the God who is in control of everything. The God who oversees this world, who makes everything turn, who has put every political leader in their position and who has given authority here on this earth. You go to God and you begin to talk to him about what you think and about the nation that we live in. So that's where we start at. It goes on in Jeremiah 29, 7 to say this, but seek the welfare of the city which I have sent you into exile. This is God talking to his people when they're under exile of the Babylonian empire. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare, you will find welfare. What's he saying? Hey, you may not agree with the government. You may be in exile. You may feel like a foreigner in the nation that you live in, and it may feel like you're oppressed, but he said you pray for God's blessing over your nation. Why? Because when I bless your nation, I'll bless you. You're going to experience that in your life. So the word of God says, hey, we pray for the nation that we live in. Titus 3, 1 and 2 says this, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, obedient and ready for every good work to speak evil of no one, avoid quarreling, be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. Perfect courtesy towards all people. Before you badmouth that political leader, you need to read God's word, you guys. Perfect courtesy towards all people. So even in my speech, it doesn't mean I have to agree with them or that I believe politically what they believe in or that I'm, hey, man, I'm backing you up or, okay, yeah, you're right. No, it doesn't mean any of that. I can disagree with them, but I am very respectful in my speech to those that God has placed in authority over me. Why? Because Titus talks about that. We're kind in what we say. We're a reflection of Christ, even in our political views, even in the way that we speak to people that we disagree with and may not see the same way as they see. 
And then we need to realize this, whenever it comes to politics, the disciples were struggling with this. And in Acts chapter one, verse six, it says this, when they had come together, they asked, Lord, they're speaking to Jesus, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the season that the father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What are they saying? Okay, Jesus, you've died. You've been resurrected. Like this is, man, this is so amazing. So right now, like you're going to come and you're going to overthrow Rome's oppression. You're going to establish Israel as a nation. You're going to set up a throne here and you're going to rule the earth. Like that's going to happen right now, Jesus, right? And he said, hey, you're missing it. That's in God's timing, what God wants to do with that. But I'm establishing a different kingdom. This is a different kind of kingdom. And my spirit's going to come upon you. And you're going to build my kingdom, not through some throne, not through some political government. You're going to build my kingdom in the nation that you're in, in Jerusalem, in the surrounding nations, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. Don't worry about that political stuff he's saying. Don't worry about what God's going to do in his timing. And it's vitally important as the church that we remember this, you guys, that being an American does not, is not the same as being a Christian. It's not. Being an American is not the same as being a Christian. Now, I want to say this. I am extremely blessed, and I believe all of us are extremely blessed to live in the nation that we do. I thank God for that. I thank God, and I honor those, and I'm respectful of those that have given their life for our freedom, either through their time in the service or through the ultimate sacrifice. They've laid down their life and they have paid for the freedom that you and I can stand here, that we can talk about the gospel openly and that we can discuss issues like this. People have paid with their lives for that kind of freedom that we experience and we should be thankful for that. We should be appreciative of that. But under no circumstance do I believe that being an American is the same as being a Christian because there are times in our nation's history, you guys, where we've not reflected Christ that well. There have been times in our history where we built our economic influence on the backs of slaves and oppressing different ethnicities. And I do not believe that reflects the character of Christ. I do not believe that reflects who Jesus is and who he's called us to be. There have been times in our past, if I understand history correctly, where we've made treaties with people that were here before us and we violated those treaties and we've betrayed those people and we've oppressed and we've killed them. That is not in the nature of God or what we see in scripture, who Christ has called us to be. And so I don't live under this mistaken identity that to be an American means to be a Christian. And I understand that, you know what, all that we need isn't just to get stronger laws or stronger legislation. And all of a sudden, that's going to fix everything. Jesus did not come. God did not send his son just to win some political election. He sent his son because your heart and my heart is sinful and we're broken people and we're desperately in need of a savior. And no governmental law is going to fix that, you guys. John chapter 18, Jesus is talking with Pilate this political leader in the Roman government. And this is what he said. Jesus answered him, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom, it's not of this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you're a king? And he said this, it's 
for this purpose that I have come, that I was born into the world to bear witness to the truth and everyone who is on the side of truth listens to my voice. Pilate's getting nervous. Wait, Jesus, you're a king? And Jesus is saying, Pilate, I'm not after your job. I'm not trying to overthrow you. I'm not trying to sit on that throne or wear some crown. You don't have to worry. That's not what I'm after. He said, my kingdom, it's on the side of truth. It's not on the side of Rome. It's not on the side of Israel. It's not on the side of America. My, my kingdom, it's on the side of truth. And everyone who listens to me stands on the side of truth. They follow after me. You guys, this isn't just some political thing that we're going after. It's not, as I mentioned, stronger legislation or any of that. It's not another government document that can be written, but it's when God's word is written on our hearts, you guys. It's not the right person being elected into America that's going to somehow save our world or somehow is going to save our nation. It's only going to happen when we as the church begin to stand up and we begin to stand on the side of truth and speak for what the word of God says we should speak out against. So when we see injustice, we stand against it. And where the Bible tells us to be vocal, we're vocal for right and for righteousness and for what the word of God says. And we understand that salvation comes not from the White House not from Capitol Hill, but it comes from the person of Jesus Christ. When we accept him into our lives and we receive that forgiveness that each and every one of us needs, that's when this world is gonna change. He didn't come to establish an earthly kingdom, you guys. He came to gain our hearts, the souls of mankind. That's why he's here. And I wanna pray for us this morning. I'm gonna ask if you would bow your head and close your eyes this morning. I realize that these are difficult topics that we're talking about. And I just want to ask if there's anyone in this room and maybe you're new to church or maybe you've even been coming a while. And this morning as I've been speaking, you realize, you know what, Aaron, there's still some things that I'm holding on to. I've not really surrendered my life to Christ. I don't have that relationship that you've been talking about. There's other things that have control of me and I haven't given control of my life over to God. Maybe as C.S. Lewis said, you're struggling and you're far too easily pleased. You're chasing after things that are only temporary. And God's here this morning saying, I have infinite joy. I have pleasures forevermore. I have this abundant life that I want to give you. And if that's you in a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand up right where you're at and to come forward right here to this stage. I want to pray for you. The word of God is very clear. It's that we're all broken. We're all sinful people and we can't fix ourselves. No government can fix us. We can't do it on our own. So God sent his son. Jesus came and he died on the cross for your sin and for my sin so we could be restored into a right relationship with God. And if that's your, you and you're saying, Aaron, I want that brand new life. I want that fresh start. I don't want something else controlling my life. I need to surrender who I am for who God wants me to be. If that's you, would you just stand up right where you're at and come forward? I wanna take a moment and I wanna pray with you that God would give you that new life.
Church, I want to ask you to pray this prayer with me, whether you're saying it for the first time or whether you've prayed this before. Repeat this after me. Jesus, I come to you and I give you my life. I ask you to be the Lord of my life. I ask you to be the Savior of my life. Give me that brand new start. Let me find everything I'm looking for in you, Lord. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Church, can we put our hands together and celebrate this morning? We're going to take a moment. We're just going to pray. And as we're doing that, I want to ask all of us, we just want to close together in prayer as the church. And as I mentioned, these are difficult topics, but we don't want to ignore them or avoid them as the church. But we, once again, we want to look at Scripture, what God's Word says, and we want to apply that to our lives. And we want to speak to people about this, and we want to be that reflection that God has called us to be in the world around us. And so I want us to just close by asking that, that God would be present in our lives and help us to be that reflection. Let's pray together as we close this morning. God, we come before you. And Lord, I thank you that your word, God, you don't skirt around even tough topics or difficult issues, Lord, but your word addresses those things in our life. And so, Lord, this morning, I pray that you would help us, Holy Spirit, to live by what you're speaking to us, God. We want to be a great reflection of you to the world around us, God. We want people to see how you're working inside of us, God, and the difference in the impact that that can make for those people that are searching for truth, that are looking for answers, God. Use us as your church. Use us as believers, God, to minister to those around us, God. Help us, Lord, not to fall into the trap, God, of looking just to some political arena, God, to bring salvation, God. But, Lord, let us point to you. Jesus, let us be passionate about establishing your kingdom, God, and what your word says here in the lives and the hearts of men and women that desperately need you, God. Use us as your church, God. Send us out to build your kingdom, God. And we pray this in your name. Amen.